Hey, what's up? I'm Ronnie from the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, and you are listening to today's Boone Dougal with Bailey and Domain Cleveland Radio. Thank you for tuning into this week's edition of today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated entertainment cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news, entertainment information and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for tuning into the show here at Domain Cleveland. going on everybody it's bill bailey with today's boondoggle on domain cleveland radio and today we are sitting here with the background music going <laughs> in the denny's diner at streetsboro and i get to talk to my good friend chris aiken uh jack of all trades wears many hats and we're going to talk about a few of them here today how you doing chris i am good man i'm enjoying the fine young cannibals man yeah, it makes it that I, much more fun <laughs> and, and, and like axel f from yeah. beverly hills cop like that that was like totally motivated me to let's finally get this right. recording started you know <laughs> axel foley pushed you forward right yeah yeah <laughs> sitting here uh had breakfast and just just catching up enjoying conversation i'm like sure. all right man we're missing out a lot of good stuff to have on on, right. on tape here so right might as well get serious now. absolutely man <clears throat> so um, you got another book. I do. Just uh, now, is it f- out on for sale yet? Or I thought it, it was supposed to be it, it Black was, Friday. It was supposed to come out on Black Friday. The Kindle version comes out on Black Friday. Okay. The 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 geniuses at Amazon decided to just release it, even though I didn't tell them to. So it just came out. So. Yeah, well. Which I don't care. I mean, you know Jeff what? Jeff Bezos knows better than you, yeah, I guess, right? Yeah, well, he does. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He, him with his $200 billion or whatever, me with my $200, I'll take his advice. Yeah, yeah, No yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, because I was hoping we'd uh, have done this to, to promote it coming out. But, hey, if you're in the Kindle, man, we, we, yeah. you'll Black Friday, you'll get well, a deal. And if you order it whenever you hear this, you'll get it around Black Friday. So that's that's good enough. Yeah, enough yeah, for me. exactly. Exactly. So, um, and we're going to get to, get to your latest book, Okay. but, uh, you know, let's go back. Yeah. I like to do timeline type sure. stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to, uh, you know, young Chris. Okay. Uh, when you first started getting into, uh, I mean, you've had, you've had a re- good relationship with the metal and music world in the Cleveland sure. area for a number of years. When you were young, Chris, when, what? Can you remember like the first time you heard something and you're like, wow, this is the type of music I want to be into? Yep, certainly you can. Um, what was that? Uh, I was, I was, I still am all music guy. I mean, I'm not only metal guy. I'm a guy that proudly says I don't own a metal card because I just, I, I still listen. I, it's nothing for me to listen to. Yeah, you NWA find young cannibals right away, yeah. you know, so. Anything. I listen to all kinds of music, but. The, I first got into metal. I had cousins. My cousins lived in Solon. And every time I would go to my cousin's house, we'd go there three, four times a year. And they were big Kiss fans. They had Kiss pictures on their walls and all that other stuff. And I I would listen to it when I was there. And to be honest, I hated it. I just was <laughs> like, oh, this is garbage. <laughs> um, and then at one point, my cousin said, well, I'm going to let you listen to something else. It's not Kiss. I don't especially like it, but maybe you'll like this. 
and it was um, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell. Oh, okay. And the minute I heard it, that was it. You're I like, was like, I'll take it. <laughs> I was like, okay, make me a tape of this immediately. And I took that tape and I wore it out. And then it just, I became metal guy right from that point. And admittedly, most of it was hair metal stuff. I mean, I was definitely Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, you yeah. know, guy yeah. for a while. But then... Um, I went, I, I was doing high school radio right here in Streetsboro on WSTB. Oh, yeah. And um, we went to the CMJ Festival my junior year of high school. I was like 16 or whatever. And at the at the convention, all day long was just conferences. You know, meet with Imus and listen to him talk about, you know, being on the radio or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And here's a guy that talks about making money with radio and advertising. But at night, they had this ballroom, and it ran all night, like into the morning. And they would have bands that were up-and-coming bands. And I remember I went down, I'm 16 years old or whatever, and I snuck out of my room, and I went down at like 11, 12, maybe it was 1 o'clock in the morning or something, to see who was playing. And I saw Loudness, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then I saw a band that nobody had ever heard of before called Metallica. And they played this empty, wow. empty ballroom. There couldn't have been 10 people there. And they just ripped my face off. So, fa so fast forward to the end of the convention. At the end of the convention, the last day, they have um, all the bands are set up like in a room. And you could walk up and get tchotchkes from them. You know, they're all like keychains or tapes or posters or whatever. And I, you know, I'm a school kid. I'm running around with a big old garbage bag trying to get everything. Yeah, yeah. And I go up to, I go up to um, the Metallica guys, and they're there, and and I'm like, oh, I saw you in the ballroom the other night. You guys were amazing. And they were like, you were there. You know, they they didn't even realize there was anyone in the room. They thought they were just playing. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, Jam I was session. there. I was there. And and. So Lars reached behind him and he grabs a copy of Ride the Lightning and he writes on it real big. Can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah, right. of course. He, he, he writes real big across the thing. He goes, he goes, buy our shit, please, Lars. <laughs> and I still have it to this day. I still have this God, that album. should be like framed and, and stuff. Well, so. it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's in a special place in my house because it's just the greatest collectible, but that's you know, at that point, then I especially was especially now. Then wow. I was all in. You know, I was all in for metal, and and I still love metal. I mean, I still, I'm one of those rare breeds though that still grows with it. You know, yeah. I don't. I'm 51. And You're most, not like set, and you yeah. know they're set in a certain metal way, and then you that you don't accept the new stuff right. like a lot of guys. Yeah, there's are, a lot of guys. You know, being 51 and you're you're what 40 what. 46, 46, yeah. all your friends have stopped growing, you know, none yeah. of them, none of them can grab, a, probably can gravitate to even like kill switch engage or <laughs> stuff that I don't even think is new anymore. That's like, yeah, old yeah. Now. They're, they're old now, you yeah. know, it's, you know, or hate breed or whatever, but you know, I run into, especially doing the radio show with it deals with a lot of older people. They all stop with like rats or deep purple or yeah, I'm like, yeah. rat deep purple. That's that's old, old, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's classic, classic. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it per se, but you know what? I can I can pull out a Volbeat record or a Stone Sour record or Slipknot or whatever and still enjoy it. Yeah, and Man. still grow. You know, I I like to still grow. 
with metal, you know. And there's a lot of great bands that are out there, and people just miss it because they want to be so supplanted into their past, you know. Yeah, yeah. Change. Pl- people don't like change, no. you know. But I mean, I played a, a, a band. It's funny because, like, my, I hate to interrupt, oh, but, you know, Metallica, I guess, was just in town yesterday. I seen Bill mm-hmm. Peters, a bunch of people posting pictures. That, yeah, that they were just out. hanging out. Yeah, yeah. Kirk Hammett and uh, Rob, Rob, you know, were in town for that thing at the Rock Hall. Right. And it's just like, you know, what a big deal that was for people today but man to, to be in a room oh, to yeah. see him beginning and have mm-hmm. lars hand you that thing that's yeah, well, pretty amazing dude, metallica for me they're my second favorite band pantera is always my first well it was my first from the minute i heard them yeah but i have such a connection with metallica for so much of my life you know i i when i moved back when i got out of the military and i moved back here i sent my wife two weeks before i came back home solely so that I could road trip to Metallica shows on the way back. <laughs> nice. and, and I did. I, I waited two extra weeks and I went and saw them. And um, I was stationed at Fort Ord, which is Central California. Yeah. And I went to see them in San Francisco one night, Sacramento the next night, wow. Reno the next night. And I had snake pit tickets. This was on the Black Album. And I saw them those three nights wow. you know, back to back to back on my way home. Because, yeah. you know, I, I the best show I ever saw in my life was Day in the Green 91 with Metallica, Soundgarden, Queensryche and Faith No More wow. at, a, at Oakland Stadium. Just an amazing show. So, yeah, I have a deep connection to the Metallica guys. So, you know, going on from there, then, um, as as uh, time progressed, you know, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that you, you didn't like Kiss. They yeah. were, your family was in, uh, you know, cousins were into Kiss or whatever. Yeah. And I remember it was like, for me, that's what drew me into that sure. side of music because it wasn't, um, it, it, it was it was the visual. You right. know, it was the visual for me. I was like, this looks cool. I want to know more about it. Now, you know, I might kind of lean like with you towards that, you know, comparing the music or whatever. Right. But the visual sure. drew, drew me in. I sure. love the theatrics or whatever. And then that opened the door for, you know, me to get into Motley Crue and some of mm-hmm. those bands and sure. stuff too, which uh, we could probably go off on a little tangent about Motley Crue today. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so time, time goes on for you. You, mm-hmm. you start developing this, you get out of uh, the military and we'll go back and talk a little bit about that. Sure. I guess we will go back and forth with the yeah, timeline okay. here. But uh, you started. Uh, what what ca- what got you involved in like uh, the Cle- more of the in here Cleveland in Cleveland music? Cleveland music with you know radio and then you sure. did a lot of writing and stuff mm-hmm. like that too. Well, been writing for a long time before the books. I did. I have. Yeah. Um, like what got you into writing? All right. This is such a dumb story, but I was. One of my books is called Call Me Chris, and it's about an industrial accident that I had where I was working in a steel mill and I got blown up and I got really blown up, like yeah, yeah. 69% burned, 52% third degree with grafts, yeah. year and a half of surgeries, four years of rehab and, you know, relearning to use my fingers and my hands and blah, blah, blah. One of the things when they were trying to get my fingers all to work again because all the tendons were burned through and they had to reattach and then make my fingers start working again. They wanted me squeezing a tennis ball. And I did that for about, Oh, maybe 30 seconds. And I was like, ugh, 
not yeah. doing this anymore. This is stupid. So my doctor asked me if I could type. And I was like, sure, I could type in the old days anyway, before yeah, I got yeah. hurt. So every day my job was to type. So I started, I started writing journals just about my day to day going through rehab and pain and mm. whatever. And a lot of that ended up becoming call me, Chris. I reinterpreted a lot of it, but it, so you held on to a lot. I of held it. on to okay. a lot of it, but I never really published it. I never could get it yeah, my yeah. head right to publish it. Well, I wasn't allowed to work. I wasn't allowed to do anything. I'm sitting at home, you know, just recovering. Yeah. And you so, got to exercise the finger. Yeah. Right. So I started writing letters to the editor at scene magazine telling them how bad their writers sucked and <laughs> and at some point i get a call or a or a email or a, i think it was maybe just a regular mail at that point i think back then i was still sending <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah putting yeah. a stamp and mailing it to them <laughs> and i got a letter that's back. how they knew you were serious exactly <laughs> so i get this letter back from the music editor at the time steve batten and steve says do you think you could do better and I was like, hell, yes, I can yeah. give me something and I'll do better. <clears throat> and I, I reviewed, I re, I don't remember what the first record that I reviewed was, but um, I reviewed it and it got a lot of response, both good and bad. Yeah. Got a lot of response that I was great. Got a lot of response that I was an ass, whatever. <laughs> but they like true. Yeah, yeah. Well, they are both true. <laughs> but but they they liked it. They liked that I was a rabble rouser. Yeah. And so people were picking it up and reading. Yeah. So that just kind of started it. And then they, you know, I had nothing to do. So they realized that I would review a lot of stuff. So they kept throwing me bunches and bunches of, you know, where everybody else would get like two records a week. I would get like eight. Yeah. And I would do interviews and everything else. And I wasn't afraid to do any of it. You know, the first interview I ever did, I made the cover, which was just, amazing it was new edition i interviewed johnny gill that was my first national interview was it was the cover of scene it was the cover of scene magazine was new edition out there is there an archives we can go look that up yeah you could actually (laughs) i gotta find that it is actually out there they'll use that for the 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 thumbnail picture for this interview it's from like (laughs) 97 (laughs) or 98 or whatever oh nice but um yeah i mean and and i just grew from there you know one of the one of the claims to fame that I have that you'll appreciate because you know these guys, I wrote the first review in Cleveland of a Mushroom Head show. Okay. When they opened for Down in yeah. 96, 95, whatever year that was. Yeah. You know, um, I reviewed I reviewed Mushroom Head. It was their first scene review for those guys so how did that one go it went well i loved mushroom i still love their music i don't get along with them i guess it's not even fair to say that anymore i don't you don't don't even know who's in the band yeah and you know i i just interviewed jeff hatrix two weeks ago three weeks ago and that went okay and yeah yeah. you know there's no animosity i mean those animosities are 20 years ago yeah yeah we were all fighting for our position at that point yep and i wasn't one to back down from anybody so was what it was but yeah yeah, well, yeah i've been writing since then man and so know. yeah so you started with scene mm-hmm. and then what what inspired you to start the uh music's bottom line i remember that um, 
back in the day coming out. That was solely you, yeah, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there were writers that were involved after a while, but it started as me. But you were just like, what? Yeah. was it an F you to scene? You didn't no, like how scene was you, going? You know what you it is? To... And this is the story of my life. Yeah. Nothing's ever enough for me. I I was doing scene, and I was writing, you know, they'd send me 15 records a week, and I would write all 15 records. And then three would make it. Okay. And I was like, well, that blows. You yeah, know, what yeah. did I do? What did I do all the rest of this for? So there was another magazine in town that most people probably don't remember. I don't Free know. Times? No, no, oh. no. This was a small one. Oh, called right. It was MMS for six months or whatever had a magazine called The Buzzard Bone. Oh, man. No, I don't remember that. And it was just out for like six months. And <laughs> I wrote under a pseudonym of Scott Sisson. Which was just some dumb name I made up, and so Scott Sisson so you was got, writing. I got for all this other stuff. Bone. Let me say yeah. it over here. And that's what yeah. I was doing was I was farming it out to that, and then that didn't prove out to be enough for me. So I got introduced to this guy named Scott Campana, who was starting a label out in Lorraine. Okay, it was like an R and B label, and he wanted to do the whole thing. He wanted to do TV. He wanted to do print. He wanted to do the whole thing. So I told him I could do the print part and he hired me and gave me free reign to do it. And the first two episodes of music's bottom line were actually his. And I was the editor under the, again, under the pseudonym of Scott Bakes Sisson. But then he, he decided he didn't want to do the print thing anymore. And I wasn't ready to quit doing the print thing. So he he sold it to me for a dollar. Nice. And I just took off with it. He sold it to me for a dollar, but he gave me all the, all the, software and the computers and everything so i just took it on and onward i went i built a staff and made it happen now um because we i know you got you know you know a lot about computers and everything too Mm -hmm. did did your uh learning computers start before this or around the same time like um as you were writing and stuff like that before i was um I mean, I, as a kid, I had a Commodore 64, yeah, and I was, too. I was, you know, the same as every other kid. I had the book open that said, 20, go to 10, loop 10. You know, I used to write that dumb code to try and make it say hello on the screen, yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I did all that stuff as a kid, and then when I was in the military, um, you know, I was an Intel analyst, so I had to learn computers okay early computers at yeah, the time yeah, the old yeah. wang computers yeah, big ass yeah the thing was wall. a whole room yeah yeah yeah. You know, i had to learn that stuff so that i could monitor you know the stuff that we monitored and whatnot so i had that that knowledge and <coughs> i kind of just at some point i bought a computer at a garage sale when i was in fort ord and it was a computer with no hard drive and i paid somebody I paid a company $275, I still remember this, oh. for a 40 meg hard drive. Oh, man. And I thought- <laughs> I would remember that, too. I thought I was king shit, though, at the end. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, look at me with this 40 megs. I'll never need to upgrade this, <laughs> you know? And But what I remember is I went to the store with my computer, and I asked them if I could just watch them install it, because I just wanted to see what- I'd never seen the inside of my own computer- so I watched him do it, and then when I realized that it was four bolts and a plug, and I, I got do that shit myself. I, it was exactly it. It was I was like, 
I could have done this. And the guy was like, yeah, but you didn't know how to do it. That's why you paid me. And I was like, never again. And I, I taught myself, I kind of self-taught myself how to take them apart, put them back together, add things. And then software, I just always sort of got, you know, I don't know how to explain it other than, then I've taken a million jobs where I did not know what I was doing going in. But you figured it uh, out. But I figured, right? Somebody hired me and said, yeah, I need SQL reports with this and that now. Okay. <laughs> sure. And then I just pull out a book and go and whatever for dummies and read it and do it. And that's how I've, you know, I've been doing one of my businesses, my Aiken IT services, yeah, which I've yeah. been doing for, um, I've been doing full time since 2005, but I've been doing kind of on the side since the 90s. I, it was called Aiken Admin Services at the time with me and my brother, but. Okay. Same sort of gig. So yeah, yeah. I've been doing it for a while. So that's one of your businesses. I mean, yeah. like I said at the beginning, you wear definitely a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to go back really quick, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the writing and stuff, with the uh, music's bottom line and how that, you know, got bigger. And, sure. And, uh, you know, what? when, when did that uh, – well, let's just talk about, you know, like how – because we, we kind of led up to it, and you, you bought it for a oh, dollar, yeah. and then, you know, then, well, then we just we just kind of, I, I built a little staff of people. The thing that Music's Bottom Line did that was missing in Cleveland was it wasn't a commercial entity per se. Yeah. It really, I was a music fan. I was not trying to get rich. Yeah. Much to my ex-wife's chagrin, I was not trying to get rich with music's bottom line. Yeah, yeah. I just liked the ability to write about whatever I wanted to write about. And I built a staff of people that were way varied. You know, I had people that liked hip-hop, and I had people that liked R&B and, and uh, pop, and, you know, and, and this was all in the late 90s, early 2000s, so... Yeah. You had a lot of music that was popping at that time, whether it was Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or uh, Dr. Dre or... And you, you wanted know. people to cover those. And I, and, because but, there, uh, there's an ear for every one yeah, of those, and, and they would pick up your magazine. <laughs> but, you know, at that point, Free Times and Scene were the big two, yeah. maybe All Press, too. The big three in Cleveland. Alternative Press was one style of music only, just alternative yeah. music. Scene had turned into a, I don't know, an entertainment paper that had like four pages of music at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And erotic massages in the back. Yeah, and Free Times <laughs> was like the yuppie version of Scene. Yeah, you know. So I put, I was like, I'm going to put out this magazine that just focuses on music, doesn't care about about corporate or whatever. And I made, I mean, we never made a ton of money. But we did better coverage than anybody was doing. And everybody that was part of it was really part of it. You know, I mean, the guys that were writers were also volunteering to distribute it for me and stuff. And, you know, I would I would get these two pallets of music's bottom line delivered to my house every two weeks. And people would show up at my house and just grab a thousand and go out to this guy's on the deep west side and this guy's in brook park and this guy's in east lake or lorraine or solon or streetsboro wherever you know and everybody did their part to really make it launch and the funny thing is there was another startup at the same time called spot magazine i don't know if you remember spot i think i do remember that that was 
all the guys that were disgruntled with scene left and started spot. Okay. And it lasted only like six months. I outlasted it because it, while it was more music focused, it was definitely more corporate ish. Yeah. Where mine was, it was nothing at all to see fear factory next to in sync, you know, and and I was always kind of the linchpin to that because I was that guy. You know, I was, for me, it's nothing on my, even now on my iPod or on my phone rather, to listen to Shania Twain and have that go to Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> it doesn't make me change yeah, yeah, the yeah. phone. You know, that's how I listen to music. I just absorb music. It's your shuffle, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so music's bottom line, you know, and I another thing that people loved about music's bottom line was I gave legitimate coverage to local bands yeah you know the first the first episode of music's bottom line i have it on my wall at my house was the band gear remember that band they were no they were they were (laughs) well that and that's that's all you need to say they weren't a huge band or whatever but i liked them and i thought more people should have heard them so i put them on on the cover yeah and i mean i'd had such an array of covers i interviewed kiss i interviewed Edwin McCain, I interviewed Shania Twain, I interviewed TLC, you know, I did all these variety, this variety of bands. And it it like opened up, uh, you know, like the networking through that, it opened up so many Mm -hmm. doors and relationships for you in the music scene too. Well, the, the big thing that I got out of music's bottom line was I ended up on WMMS as a DJ doing the metal show. Yeah, yeah. The, that's where I wanted to start going to. Yeah. Well, the, um, that started because the host, well, I got a call. Remember that band Spawn? Yeah. The, from yeah. from the 90s here in Cleveland. Sounded like Testament. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was friends with those guys in Spawn, and they had heard the metal show on MMS, and the only guy they knew in the business was me. And they were like, can you help us get on that show? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. I didn't know anybody, but <laughs> I reached out. I figured out who to who to contact, and I contacted a guy named Matt Wardlaw, who was the warlock on the show. Yep. And we talked, and he was like, dude, I'm a big fan of music's bottom line. Why don't you come out and come on the show? <laughs> and I was like, sure, you know, why not? So I came on, and I promoted music's bottom line. And at the end of the show, Matt said, hey, anytime you want to come down, come on back. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I came back the next week. Yep. And I came back the next week and just, and I started doing free advertising and promotion, well, man. You can get, well, you know, and, and that was the thing. I mean, I was still, the thing is, is at that point I was still on workers comp. So it wasn't like I could even accept a job if it was offered to me. Yeah. But I was trying to build this, this newspaper magazine. And I was <laughs> like, I don't want to be paid. Don't, I don't want to be hired. Just let me say music's bottom line and mblzine.com twice a twice a show. Yeah. I'm good. And and I did. And I, you know, that's how I did 12 years on corporate radio. It was, you know, because of music's bottom line. And that's how I ended up on the classic metal show was because I used to I, I met Neely, who I do the show with now, yeah, at a Black Crows show through a friend. And I um he he was he helped distribute the paper so he ended up being a distributor guy but he was like come on down on one saturday a month and promote it 
So one Saturday a month, I would go down from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, and I would promote music's bottom line. And then it just kind of grew from there. Once I started doing impressions and being silly and whatever on the show. Yeah. So everything does kind of branch off of everything else for me, which yeah, is yeah. the more you do, the more opportunities you have, I guess. And I mean, I what, what just stuck out for me, what you what, what you said is like, I mean, this is during workers comp when you're still recovering from this. Oh, yeah. You know what happened to you? And, and, and you know, I mean, how many people would that have been the end and they would just like not done anything? Lots, you I know. Mean, I mean, yeah. just all the things that you went on to do mm-hmm. while you're still recovering. Oh yeah, from this thing that almost killed you. Dude, it's pretty I, incredible. I tell this one story all the time, and it's it's funny, but at the same time, it's not funny. You know, I was, I'm probably the one burn victim in the history of burn victims that ever got kicked out of rehab or um, support group rather <laughs> for being too much of a dick <laughs> because. We were in, I was in a session of um, support group. I was trying to get my head around, you know, accepting deformity, which is yeah. what I had to do with all the graphs and everything and, you know, all that nonsense from the from the burns. And there was a guy in there, there was a black dude in there, and he had fallen and his hand, he's a roofer, and his hand went into a thing, a tar, and he Second degree burned his arm, not grafts, but burned the pigment off his arm, okay. you know, and, and you, I don't know, you've, you've probably seen that yeah. when a black guy gets burned second degree. It takes the, it looks like a white guy. Yeah, hand. yeah, yeah. This guy was horrified about this and he was in this support group just complaining and whining and bitching and I'm sitting at this table and I'm looking around. There's guys that have lost fingers. There's guys that have lost legs. There's me that's, you know. 70% burned and finally I spouted off I was like would you shut the fuck up with your bullshit and the, and the the lady's like whoa 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 I was like not whoa there's so many people that have been through through so much worse you didn't even lose use of your hand you know yeah grow up it just play play to play devil's advocate here and this is just how our minds operate yeah. you know mine pretty sick but I mean you know, was he, was it his right hand? Is he right-handed? You know, how traumatic would that be to all of a sudden you're trying to beat your black dick and you got this white hand doing it for you? That might play a role in it. <laughs> might scare you a little bit. <laughs> his hand had jungle fever, I guess. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, man. Yep, but that's, like, I, I, I should probably uh, have you write a book for my head or something. <laughs> things that come up in my head sometimes. Nice. Things I should not say out loud. Yeah, there right? you go. <laughs> Sounds like a familiar title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right. I'm sorry. Let's try and get back on track here. Right. But uh, so you went on to have classic metal show going on. You were still mm-hmm. with corporate, uh, you know, uh, was MMS at yeah, the time? Yeah, well, whatever, MMS the and then ninety-two-three. Oh, they picked it up for a right. little while, mm-hmm. and then finally, you know, unfortunately, Cleveland doesn't seem to respect local and hardcore music enough to, right. to keep something going. That ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, music's bottom line has still been going on. Our, our uh, classic metal show is still going on, but right. music's bottom line. When did that end for um, you? And what was the thing that made? I burned out. I mean, it was five years. I was <clears> doing it. I mean, I was working. I was working my day job, regular okay. day job. Then I was doing music's bottom line every night till two in the morning, 
every yeah. Saturday, every Sunday was working 12, 14, 16 hours on music's bottom line. Yeah. Then jumping in the car on a Sunday to go do the metal show from 10 to midnight, mm-hmm. turn and burn. And I just got, I did it for five years. I got tired. I ended up selling it to some local guys and they realized within two months what a burden it was. Yeah. You know, and they, they shelved it they after two months. Well, they did it. For, they kept, did two issues. Alive for so long. Oh, well, you know? they didn't realize. I mean, I was doing the work of ten people. You know, I had a staff of like fifteen people or twenty people or whatever it was, but I still wrote eighty percent of it. Yeah. I still did most of the interviews. I still, you know, wrote. If we had twenty reviews, I probably wrote twelve or thirteen of them. Okay. I mean, I and I did all the layout, and I ended up doing the website. I, you know, I taught myself how to do the website. And, that's is that around the same time that your Aiken IT services well, started yeah, then too? It was right in there, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, I I was paying a guy fifteen hundred dollars a month to do the website because <laughs> I mean this is when web was new and nobody yeah, yeah, really yeah. knew how to do it. But then at some point I looked at it and I was like, I can hey. do this. Well, I was <laughs> like, I can do layout for a magazine. Yeah. Why can't I do the same thing on a screen? Yep. And I just kind of bought myself a Microsoft publisher at the time and figured it out. You know, I just kind of pushed buttons until it worked and then it was going. So I taught myself web and, you know, obviously I turned that into a, you know, a six figure business. So yeah, again, yeah. music's bottom line, all, all this stuff, it's all branches that all work together. Now a little bit of, of, of uh, and then we'll get, you know, start moving forward with sure. and everything. But during that time frame, music's bottom line, you had the opportunity to work with a uh, man that was very well known in the Cleveland uh, promotion industry, uh, Mitch. Sure. Spotlight Mitch. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about any fun stories with well, working Mitch, with Spotlight Mitch? Mitch was an absolute character, Mitch Karshevsky. Yeah. He um, he owned a tuxedo shop. Mitch's Britches, Mitch's right? Britches, yeah. <laughs> and he and I shared an shared that office out there in Middleburg for yeah yeah for about 3 years I guess it was is I was my my ex hated that I worked at home all the time so she wanted me to have an office yeah yeah so, so. I worked out a deal with Mitch for I would cover whatever main thing he was doing yeah, each month. World Series. Yeah, whatever it was, stuff. whatever yeah, show yeah. it was, I would cover that with big coverage if he gave me this office, office space. space that he wasn't using. So I ended up working with Mitch, and uh, Mitch was a character, man. I mean, he was he was a – if he was your friend, he was your friend. Yeah. But he was also a shyster. And yeah. he – I mean, he, he was a typical <laughs> music promotion guy. Yeah. You know, he screwed a lot of bands over, and I know that, and – you know, I tried to keep as far away from the business of Mitch yeah. as I could. I didn't want nothing to do with Spotlight Talent other than I liked having an office to go to to do interviews and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, he, I mean, I, I, I did a lot of co-promotions with him, World Series of Metal. I was always involved in helping bring some of the bands as part of that with Mitch and, um, you know, the, the big the big to do here in town when mushroom head um, screwed over Chris Poland and went to universal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I was in the office when that conversation happened and, and that's the music's bottom line issue that, yeah, you know, set, I, I remember set the world on fire <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I printed the contract and got threatened by attorneys and everything else that, 
you know, and I instead was, of people going out and distributing them, there's a yeah, group of people going, going out and collecting, collecting them. them and throwing them away. And yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it's a big deal. But they're actually what's funny is the copies of that sell on eBay yep. for like hundreds of dollars, That's which is crazy. hilarious. That's hilarious to me. Yeah. But yeah, I, they were not happy. And no universal. No, I remember that universal <laughs> was very not happy. I, that was the, the lawyer that called me. And that was also ACDC's lawyer. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, you, we demand that you get all these copies off the street now, or we're going to sue you for definite, blah, 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 blah. And I literally was like, if you were going to sue me, you would have just sued me. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have threatened me. me to, yeah. yeah. And, and at the time I didn't own anything. I didn't even own a car. Yeah. So I was like, like, what are you going to take? I was like, go ahead. Take my half of Mitch's yeah. office. Yeah. Take, uh, take my rent. Yeah. Go ahead. Take my $2,000 beater that's in the front yard. Go ahead. But yeah, nothing ever came of it other than more bad blood between me and the mushroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was what it was, but you know, things happen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, uh, one of my best memories of Mitch, um, before you know he passed and stuff you know like you said he was a character and if he liked you he liked you if he didn't like you you yeah. know you knew about it well i i like to think that he kind of liked me because he had a heart to heart with me when i was trying to you know when dollar bill was trying to figure out what he was right, going to sure. do in the cleveland promotion and i would would go pick his brain about putting on these big shows and whatever and and you know my my daughters were very young at the time and he said you know what Best thing for you to do is just focus on being a dad. Right. Leave this stuff behind and go be a dad. Yep. And it took me a couple of years for that to finally settle in. It was after he passed and I got sober where I finally was like, man, the dude was really trying to look out for me. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. I'll always remember that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Mitch was a good guy, but sometimes he wasn't a good guy. Like, like so many of us, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so let's get to, uh, you know, we, we already talked about your time on radio. Uh-huh. Um, you know, a little bit like with, especially with, um, you know, when you were with corporate radio, what did you enjoy about it? And what did you hate about that? Um, I really enjoyed working with Wardlaw, Matt Wardlaw, the, the Warlock. Yeah, I mean, are like best friends and, and uh, we still yeah, are good friendship know? from it. And, yeah. and I, I, I said it in one of the books, I think victories about how I, I was very out of control at that point in my <laughs> life, and I really hurt him. He shouldn't be my friend anymore, yeah. uh, quite honestly. But, you know, I mean, I when I got us fired, and I got us fired, it, yeah. was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, Cle to be fair, you said before about Cleveland doesn't support the music. Well, no. <laughs> I, I went after, we were working for CBS. I went after another CBS personality publicly on the classic metal show. But it got sent to HR and it got the show canceled. It got us fired. And, wow. you know, and and I didn't feel bad about it. You know, at the time, I didn't care. I was really burned out on corporate radio at that point. Yeah. But I felt bad because it took money out of Matt's pocket. Yeah. And Matt did care. And Matt needed that money for his, you know, for his house payment and everything else. And it's the only time I've ever apologized to anybody for anything <laughs> I've ever said on the radio. Because... I literally went when I had to go in and turn in my badge and stuff. I went to the program director at the time, Nard and Tom Herschel, who was the station yeah. guy and, and kind of was like, look, if you guys want to fire me, that's fine. 
but you shouldn't fire Matt. He had nothing to do with this. You know, this was all me. If you want to, you know, I'll sign whatever waiver or whatever you want, saying I won't sue if you use the name The Metal Show, if Matt's still on, whatever, you know, whatever you need. And they ended up keeping Matt, which <coughs> thankfully for that, they did keep Matt, okay, not good. on The Metal Show, but they kept him on the air for another, I think, year or two before they flipped to Sports Talk. Okay. So yeah. I felt good about that, but no, I loved working with Matt. Matt Matt, and I are genuine friends. It's funny because we yeah. were the metal guys, so everybody expected Fear Factory, Sepultura, Cannibal Corpse. But as soon as the mics were off, we're talking about Survivor and Journey and <laughs> Foreigner. And, you know, we were so diverse with this stuff. And, and I still consider Matt one of my closest, closest friends, even though I don't see him nearly as much as I would like to. Yeah. You know, it's always good when we get together and it always is in the pocket when we get together. So I remember at one time you guys were having like a thing, uh, you know, like try out for Chris's replacement. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now did that have anything to do with some of the, or was this just something you guys made up? Dude, it was. Is this just like a, a It swerve? was a made up thing. <laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to run with it and see what happened. It was supposed to just be <laughs> two to see weeks. how many of your friends were going to shit well, on you. that was what it was. I wanted to see <laughs> who would spot. try and steal Matt's job. You did. <laughs> but, but no, it was. Matt was off for. T- he knew he was going on like a vacation and like a, a family member wedding or something that was. I don't remember what it was, but it was something where he wasn't going to be on for two weeks. Yeah. So. I talked to Kim Monroe, our program director, and came up with the idea of let's go on the air and just say that Matt's been fired. And so Kim played along and me and Kim actually got into an on-air argument, which was totally bogus. (laughs) One of the few bits I've ever done ever on the radio. (laughs) But we we got into this whole thing and Kim's like, you need to shut up unless you want to be fired with him or whatever on the radio. So it turned into this thing. And then got people talking. Well, and then Matt, we were like, I said to Matt, I was like, let's see how long this goes. Let's see what we could do with this. And he was like, hey, I don't care. So the thing nobody knew was Matt was in the studio every week Yeah, because yeah. I didn't know how to run the board. Yeah. So Matt would be in the studio running the board. And it was like me and our intern, Jeremy, doing the show. <laughs> you know? And and we, were, we just kept pumping that whole thing of, hey, send us your tapes if you want to replace Matt. And, you oh, know? Man. and we got all these crazy, years wasn't too bad, but we got people that were emailing <laughs> saying, uh, for some reason time. I thought I was replacing you. And so I was like cutting a promo against you or something, I think. They're <laughs> like, oh, this is Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> but we had, a, we had a lot of people that were like, it's about time you replace Matt because he sucks. And, you know, and it was like friends. Yeah. And yeah I was yeah. like, dude, this is hilarious and then we played them all on the show and had a, had a good show out of it it was funny yeah i remember that it reminds me of uh you know well i was gonna say i, I did something similar when i was uh doing the dollar bill stuff when right. foz was running the underground sure and we set up for we set up an angle with me and psycho mike local cleveland yeah. wrestler mm-hmm. you know uh to promote a show we were having at Peabody's with right. bands and then wrestling and whatever. And I was talking smack about Psycho Mike and then he was calling in and they were dumping them and beeping right. and all that stuff. But it was all like pre-recorded, right? you know, but we were making it sound like it was live and this dude wants to kill me. And so come out to the show and see Dollar Bill get killed, you know, <laughs> and all that. So dude. it was kind of fun, man. The fun you can have at radio. Right. You mentioned <clears throat> the dumping part. That is, that's the the main reason I got out of corporate radio yeah how many times you, it was just 
you being dumped every time uh, you spoke. It, huh? it just got out of control. Yeah. And, and it was after the whole Janet Jackson tit thing. Yeah. And it just got CBS went crazy after that. And I said crazy stuff. I mean, I, I've always been a shock jock. I still am. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say crazy things. Well, it got to the point that Matt was dumping out on me. And then Jeremy, our intern, had a button to dump out on me. <laughs> So the backup I, dump. I, well, and I'd be I'd be in the studio, and I would see Matt dump out on something, and I wouldn't agree at all with it. It would not be something that should be dumped. Yeah. But Matt was always side on the air on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm watching him dumping out on stuff, and I'm watching Jeremy dumping out These on guys stuff. Guys taking a dump and, on you, and it just got to the point we had, for whatever reason, there was one time when we weren't allowed to say douchebag. And I always said douchebag. You know, I was like, oh, that guy's a douchebag, whatever. Yeah. And we were allowed to say douche. We were allowed to say bag, but we weren't allowed to say douchebag. <laughs> douchebag. And, and Matt dumped out on me when I said it. And I was like, what did you dump out on? And this is on the air. He's like, you can't say that. I was like, what, douchebag? And Matt <laughs> dumped again. I was like, okay, douchebag dumped out again. And I ran us out. Because I was so frustrated with it that I just, I, I ran us out of dump and he had to go to a song oh, because I, I was so mad. And then was he yelling at you when you went to song? Yeah. Like, and I didn't care. I was, <laughs> you know, dude, I was very selfish in those days. And I somehow foolishly believed that I was the show. And yeah, I, uh, I know how that can be. And, and I mean, and and it, that wasn't fair to Matt. Uh, and I do regret some of that. I, I really do. Because... I understand that I'm the shocking one, no matter what show I'm on. I'm the, yeah, I'm yeah, the yeah. one that gets the attention, good or bad. But it's not fair to take somebody with you. Yeah, it's fine exactly. if you take them when you're going up. That's fine. Yeah. But if you take them going down on something that's extremely selfish like that, that's not cool. Yeah. And, and I felt like it wasn't cool. Man, that's awesome. You say that too, because I mean, we got there's so many similarities. I think that's why we're we become such good friends. Sure. Um, but I remember like, you know, we, we were talking about in that, uh, episode with, uh, that I did with, uh, Larry Mack and, uh, Doug about the beginning of Domain Cleveland. Mm -hmm. It was just like, you know, that dollar bill ego thing was me. I was, I was bringing everybody else down and it was all about me. It was right. becoming more about me. <laughs> yeah. And I remember like, you know, the re one of the reasons why we became Domain Cleveland and Larry brought this up the other day because we were dollarbillbailey.com or dollar bill Bailey mm -hmm. promotions before he's like. And Jim Kanye made a comment, God bless Jim Kanye, uh, like, you know, how are you promoting bands? It sounds like you're promoting one person, you right. know, and, and he was right, man. Mm -hmm. So well, I know how that, that, that ego can, you know. Let me tell you a funny Dollar Bill Bailey story okay. that is still alive today in my house that you don't know. <laughs> oh, no. So you came up one time and you were hammered. Yeah. You were just hammered on, on the radio show. And you, I don't remember what you're promoting, but whatever. I probably you, don't either. Whatever you were promoting, you also had cases of Hall's cough drops <laughs> and Axe body wash. Yes. And yeah, it was thanks to my ex. <laughs> I still have probably 10 packs of the Hall's cough. Because you gave me literally. should have brought me some today. <laughs> I, I, I should have because I because that would have been a good joke. I literally have 10 more boxes of these things unopened. Oh, man. Because I took them. Matt didn't want any of them. But yeah. you gave us 
I mean, seriously, it was like 30 cases of these things. So that was 15, 18 years ago or whatever. That's funny. Yeah, and yeah. I still have like stand the test of time. Yeah. yeah, my ex would do these promotions and she'd be promoting like Hall's cough drops or whatever. Right. And they'd mail all the product to the house and whatever didn't get given away during the promotion. Right. We kept and I'm like, I don't want all this crap. So right. I would use it to make, I don't know, just give it out on the radio right. show. Well, you gave it's us funny. Case like a big old case of <laughs> like the Keratoma guys still yeah. joke about the axe body wash and stuff too. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so Ollie, back to your time with uh, radio, yeah, not just radio, classic, uh, you know, the internet radio, uh-huh. uh huh, and music's bottom line. Out of all those times, what would you say are some of your most memorable interviews that you've done? Interviews, um, um. I always love talking to Philip Anselmo. Yeah. I mean, he's become a friend. And um, I wrote about Phil and the influence of Pantera on me in my Call Me Chris book. And Philip read it. Yeah. And um, nice. we talked about it a little bit after. And, you know, I, I think I've actually posted it on, on YouTube or somewhere. Oh, that's Philip cool. talking about my book. And that's such a special moment. Yeah, to me man. I'll have to go check that out. Because Pantera is like my band. Yeah. And for philip anselmo to be kind of a friend yeah, you know yeah. is, is like so cool to me um you know it's funny because most, i still don't want to meet that guy oh he's great he's great he's now i can drop your name so oh, like get, have that he in would know my name too <laughs> but you know it's weird dude because i've interviewed everybody that i would ever want to pretty much i my list of people i have not met that i would want to is neil diamond and elton john everybody else in my musical life i've met yeah um but the big ones are never really that special to me yeah, i'm not kind of almost like a letdown like who well, they are behind I'm not the starstruck yeah. i don't i i grew up my mom as a little kid when i was a little kid my mom was corporate banker for national city bank okay and her one of her clients was barry gable who's the at the time was like way high up at Belkin Productions. There okay. was Mike and Jules Belkin, and then number three was Barry Gable. So every time Barry would come in to do banking for Belkin Productions, he would give her tickets and passes to whatever was in town. And my mom was always cool. Like, my dad had horrible musical taste, but yeah. my mom always had cool musical taste. So while my dad would be listening to Slim Whitman and Roger Whitaker, <laughs> my mom was always like Led Zeppelin, The Who, The Stones, okay, whatever. Okay, good. Well, I got to meet bands from the time I was little. I mean, okay. I mean, I, I saw Zeppelin in 77. I was nine, wow. you know, and I met bands. I bet Twisted Sister when I was 12 or 13 years old. And, That's and, awesome. You know, I just met bands. All, I met Captain and Tennille. I met Harry Chapin. I met, you know, the Eagles and all these different bands from the time I was little. So I never, before you even appreciated who oh, they yeah. were really, I didn't know anything. Yeah. I just knew I liked these songs on the AM radio in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, but when it came time to be in the business, I never was like, Oh my God, it's deal. You know, she, I, I never was that guy. I never was nervous around bands. So, which I think they appreciate more. Well, they do you because know? you do real interviews yeah. instead of, instead of, well, you've sold a million records this time. What's that like? Yeah, you know yeah, they, yeah. they get the same crappy questions, and I ask them, <laughs> you know, real stuff about relationships and wives and divorces and you know, you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And 
so you know to say what's my favorite interview of all time i don't know if i had to pick anything it's not because they're my favorite band although i do like them uh, it's probably carrie king only because there was a there was a friend and he, he's now deceased he was a cop named josh mctarian and um he was in a band called Barium, which nobody remembers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, but he, he was a good guy. He was a Twinsburg cop and I had story upon story upon him, but he was dating his now or his now widow, I guess. And her, I think sister or friend or something was Carrie King's Cleveland girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And he called me, like we were, this was when I was on MMS and we were doing the show in the, the same building as the, um, the hard rock cafe. Okay. Yeah. So my friend Josh called me and goes, he goes, get down here, you know, immediately you're, you're not going to believe who's here with me. So I was like, okay. And, and me and my friend, angry Pat, we used to just go to the cafe before the show and drink anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we went in there, I go in and who's he sitting with? but Carrie King. And I was like, Oh shit. Wow. <laughs> and so we talked to Carrie for a minute and I just threw it out. I was like, Carrie, you want to come up and do a quick interview on the metal show with this here? Starts in like 15 minutes. And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. Nice. And so he's like, but then he goes, he goes, you know, I have the first Slayer single in my car. Do you want to play it on your show? <laughs> and we, I was like, yeah, you know, so we ran, we walked out to his car or to Josh's car. We grabbed the CD. Nice. We take it up to the station. He gives it to Matt. It's the song Bloodline from God Hates Us All. And um, we turn on the mics. Matt and Matt is like, oh, Chris, you do some crazy things sometimes, but this might be the craziest. <laughs> and then Carrie goes on to say. You know, it would be really call somebody a douchebag and get well, stumped. No, 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 he was he 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 goes on pretending for a minute that he's not Carrie King, and I'm like, oh man, he is going to blow this whole thing up on us. And then he finally was like, he's like, well, I could just keep pretending I'm not Carrie King, but you do have that that music there, so I think that'll give it away. And but it was just a fun moment, and it was nice. one of those crazy crazy moments you know it was more of a moment than an interview per se but it's one that yeah, does yeah. stick out oh yeah i would say for sure now um a lot of those uh d did you ever keep like copies of some of those shows and stuff like that the yeah, shows i did not no. matt has a bunch of it oh, matt yeah. used to record every bit of it i've you could do a best of someday i would know, love to i would love to out. just have some of it in here here and i probably would be embarrassed for myself <laughs> but but, how far you've come along and, you well, know, and your technique or how you... Well, even whatever. on CMS, even with Classic Metal Show, I mean, pretty much everything that I've done since 2005 is online. Yeah. So with um, with everything that's out there, I listen to old segments now and I'm like, ooh, you know, <laughs> or, or why was I inhibited is the one thing that comes across to me is sometimes I'll hear myself acting surprised and I'll be like... Wow, that shouldn't have surprised me at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I got that. I've been like since I started doing this thing, you yeah. know. And I, I know we've talked a lot off uh, before about when I started uh, this. And your best advice for me is just be myself. Yeah, you know, and just 
be me, which, mm. I, you know, I'm learning to do, but I still will sometimes get that nervousness when I'm talking to yeah. somebody and I'll catch like, oh man, why did I say that? And mm. how did I come off like that? And I'm trying to, I realize the more I do it, the more natural it becomes, sure. the well, more comfortable I, I am doing it. So that I'm just, well, I'm trying to do as many as these as I can. And, well, and the best you know, interviews you're ever going to do are the ones where you're just natural. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I will say if you look on Blabbermouth, yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> if you look on Blabbermouth. Cameo from our waitress. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you look on Blabbermouth, you'll see my name yeah. about once a week because they really like the the interviews that I do. And they like specifically that I don't that, hold back. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when the recent diagnosis of uh, Dave Mustaine mm-hmm. and you had. Uh, David Ellison. Yeah. yeah. And I you, asked you're the Megadeth, first one. Yeah. And I asked him point blank, is Megadeth going to be over if he doesn't come yeah. back from this and that that was a boom on everything everybody yeah. took everybody it ran. ran with that one. which helped bring more people that yeah. might not be familiar with your show to start right. checking exactly. out your show well I, so. I mean i was on blabbermouth yesterday i think for asking alan robert of life of agony if his singer mina mina keith you know um if the attention that goes toward the transgender thing takes away from the, the, the music. music. Yeah. And that made blabbermouth. So, yeah, but people freaking out and upset, yeah. you know, you got one side that's mm-hmm. going to be like, right. Yeah. But you, you never know, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm sorry. I wasn't ignoring you guys. Oh no. It's no, all right. no, you get a rush fine. over there and it's like, that's no, all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you. But, but no, Should I had her say, Hey, what's your name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But but no man, I mean the thing it's that it's a I, legit question, well, and it's it something today's but it's today's society. It's like you got to you know. It's be, also be something to ask and have yeah. a conversation, and, and that's what I've always excelled at is I have no fear. Yeah, you know, and luckily for me, you know, I've built my whole life around. I don't have to worry about a a job. I don't have to worry about a boss hearing that I said something off color and firing oh, me or yeah, any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, so I don't care. I, I mean, I mean, I own multiple businesses. I sell thousands of books a year. You know, could any of that stuff go away? Yeah, I guess it could. But if it does, it's on my terms, not on anybody else's. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so let's get into the the, the books then. Um, I mean, the the you said like you know the writing thing was kind of almost like you know it was the the rehab for your fingers and mm-hmm. stuff when you first started getting into it and then you yeah. just had a way with just the words coming to you and flowing and then you kept that log of like rehab and the pain mm-hmm. which ended up becoming uh call me chris right, right? Mm-hmm. um you know what was the first one that you did little victories little victories talk a little bit about uh little victories and when you finally decided like you know what let's let's make a book well, I went through a, a very messy divorce, as you're well aware. Yes. And it messy, not me- I want to be fair on this. It wasn't messy because she made it messy. It was messy because it just fucked my head up. Yeah. It, it, that's where it was messy. As far as the actual divorce itself, it was one of the cleanest in history. You know, kept my business, kept my house, didn't pay alimony. It's great. Yeah. You know, you know, and it was done in four months. I mean, it, it was as clean as it could possibly go. No lawyers involved, no wasted money on either side. From that, it was clean. But for my head, it was I was a mess. Yeah. You know, 23 years together, and it just tore my head off. 
So I actually ended up in my backyard with the gun to my head, ready to, ready to pull the trigger. And I chickened out, you know, and won't make any bones about it. I chickened out because I didn't want to fuck my kid up. Yeah. That was my biggest, the only thing that stopped me was I just knew it would, if I did it, I might as well go shoot my kid first because she would follow me. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do that. Yep. So I decided that I just had to figure some things out about myself. And one of them was I needed to figure out why I was so angry about everything. Because I was definitely an angry guy. You know, that yeah, back yeah. in the day, well, I... nobody wanted to deal with me too hard because I was a time bomb. Yep. Um. so I wrote, honestly, uh, the first thing I wrote was this list of things, an honest to God list, like a checklist on myself of what do I like? What do I hate about myself? What do I, what can I fix? What, you know, what, just a whole list of things. I was very personal. And instead of hiding it, I taped it up on my bathroom window. And in recovery, they call that like a, uh, inventory yeah you know searching and fearless moral inventory but most people won't make it public yeah i made mine very public so that anytime anybody came to my house i was susceptible to being asked about it and that was what i needed to let i was a bottle guy you know i was that guy that bottled everything up and then just bottle 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 and then just a mass explosion when i would go off it's like a two liter of pop shaking yeah but know? never stops being yeah. shaken yeah to where and the whole finally boom yeah and because i went public that way it i i felt better i thought it would be embarrassing or whatever to have that information out there with friends and family and whatever and instead what i found was everybody was very very supportive well at the same time I just started keeping like journals of day-to-day emotional stuff. And it started on Facebook, just kind of writing, you know, whatever I felt on Facebook. And then it just kind of grew. And before I knew it, it was sort of like 200 pages written or something. And I was like, well, I'm just going to write till the one year anniversary. And I'm going to see where I'm at at that point. I remember following that, you know, I mean, we've been friends for a while and Facebook friends and, you know, I mean, I mean, along that time, you did your DDPY mm-hmm. thing, yeah. too. And it was just like, man, it was just like you being so raw and so real. It, like, I think I would message you and say, man, you motivate me. Right. You know, mm-hmm. to want to look at myself and work on me, yeah. you know, by being you were brave enough to be that guy. Right. And I know it, it, you, you helped me along the way. Well, good. You, you know, know I, I dude, it, it was very hard. And, and, you know, I made a ton of mistakes during that time. I mean. I, I tell, I've told everybody this and it's true and I hate it that it's true, but I was drinking a fifth of vodka a day. I mean, I, I, I was drowning that pain. That definitely helps you be a little bit more honest on yeah, buying well, a keyboard. Well, yeah, it, it did. <laughs> Honestly, it did because I was, you know, and it was a bad time. I'm going through an emotional divorce that was really killing me. My dad, who I hadn't, I had just fixed things with. I hadn't spoken to my family in 12 years. All of a sudden, I fixed that, and then my dad dies in the middle oh, of it. I remember that, yeah. You know, I was just wrecked. And and the only thing that made me feel better was vodka, you know? <laughs> and, but I got through it, you know, like everybody. But I, that was like your therapist session, too. It typing, was. Typing. And it really was. And putting it out there. And I got better. You know, I, I, I got better. But the thing that stuck out was I decided to put victories out. It really wasn't. 
for at least 10 months of it, it wasn't meant, well, maybe not that long, about eight months, it wasn't meant to be a book. It was just meant to be something personal for me. Yeah. And then somebody saw something on Facebook or whatever and was like, dude, you should, um, you should do something with this. And I had somebody that knew somebody at Simon and Schuster and had me submit some chapters and I got favorable response. So then it turned into a whole thing. And then I didn't want to be on a publisher with a publisher. There's too many restrictions to that. So then I pulled it back and just put it out myself where there were no restrictions. I mean, there were too many restrictions with being with a, you know, as I explored publishers, there was a lot of restrictions. So it's like corporate radio. Well, yeah. yeah so. and, and or I if mean, you would have sold your businesses. Other guys. Yeah. And, and they didn't like, <coughs> they just didn't like some, uh, they didn't like my, my, my ideas. Like my cover of Little Victories is perfect for what I wanted. It's exactly what I saw in my head when I decided to make it a book. Yeah. Um, they didn't like it. They were like, it's too dark. It's too moody. It's not self-helpy. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not self-helpy. <laughs> I didn't think I was self-helpy. I just thought I was telling my own story. Being raw. And and honestly, in some regards, they were kind of right. I was right for holding my ground because I would hate myself if I looked and saw Little Victories on my shelf with some shit cover that I hated. Yeah. I would hate that. Yeah. But Little Victories and Call Me Chris especially were so self-helpy. And I got hundreds and hundreds of messages and emails and you know instant messages and calls on the radio show and whatever from people that were like your book helped me so much and i i just you know i was taken aback by that i didn't expect that but you know i i'm victories was the first one and it i i definitely caught the writing bug with that one i remember uh you know i mean i've been we, we were talking earlier, and like I said, we got a lot of parallels and things. But on my healing journey, the tr- the, the true healing, I noticed the, the, the growth in healing for me is when I was finally willing to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, be vulnerable and put myself out there. I did this two-year journey with this place called the Wellness Institute, and we'd meet every couple months. And, you know, it was like, you know, it, <laughs> I mean, I, you would laugh first time you uh witnessed it i know i did but i was like where the hell am i at what the hell right. is this stuff all about you know <laughs> like luckily thankfully there was another veteran sonia i love you uh, and that was there with me and and so we would figure it out together but right. anyway it, it, my dad died during the two-year journey sure. and, I, and, and i had to hold everything i had to be strong for family for my mom for blah 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 everybody you know my kids right didn't have a place where i could go mourn Mm-hmm. You know, and this place provided me a container. And then finally I said, screw it. I hate carrying this around. This right. hurts. And once I started being vulnerable and putting my stuff out there, man, I felt such growth <laughs> in my healing. And the and storm of 71, my people, my tribe out there, right. man, they, they know and they were a part of it. So I can understand. Sure. You well, doing And, and your I'll thing. bet you found the same thing that I did where you thought that you might get ridiculed or shunned or whatever. You got just the opposite. Yeah. You, you found so many more people that were like, yeah, I get it. Because my head thinks it already knows what you're thinking about right. me a lot mm-hmm. of times. And it's like the worst. Yeah. I, I've gotten, I don't know how many like family gatherings I get ready to go to. And I think that they're going to say this and I'm going to have to say this. And it mm-hmm. play out all this 
drama and craziness, and right. it's usually always the opposite. Yeah, always. Like our head can be a, a dangerous place. But yeah, it is. Being being fearless and putting that out there and being vulnerable, that's where the healing starts. Man. Sure. I think that this was your way of doing that. Yeah, I, I agree. So, um, getting back to the book, so uh, Little Victories came out, and you talked about the response to that, mm-hmm. and then you're just like, the writing bug happened. And yeah, then, then I just like, started writing. I had a... I, I, I've written six books total now and I'm okay. on to number seven and eight, but, but, um, the, I decided after victories, I wanted to write something fun because victories was very draining. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it definitely was an emotional book. So I had this idea and I'm still living with this idea. I love, I actually love these books. It's called there. I call them my cause and effect series. Yeah. And what I do is I write music books about albums that changed something, whether it's changed a fan base, changed the way rock music is programmed, changed something. Yeah. So the second book I wrote was the first in the cause and effect series, which was about Metallica's black album. Okay. Cause it changed their fan base. It changed what was considered heavy metal on the radio. Yeah. Changed how rock radio was programmed. After the Black Album, everybody had their mandatory Metallica at 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody, it, it changed a lot of things. And the cause and effect books, they're kind of a mishmash of facts and personal stories with me because I live my life to a musical soundtrack. Yeah. You know, and, and I have association with them. So, the second book was the Metallica book, and it was very different, obviously, than Little Victories, but it sold really well. I was surprised. It's it's kind of like a mini book. It's only like 70 pages or something. Okay. But, but it's it's just a fun little track-by-track track analysis. And now do these books, I mean, basically with your writing and then, you know, they do well enough that they basically help fund the next one. You know, they kind of fund your hobby or help. I don't care you know. about the money. I make a yeah, lot of I money. Don't, I, but I, mean, I make a lot of money with the with the real jobs. The books are. But sometimes it's like, you know, like like Jasta says on his show, you know, I don't make money or I don't make music to make money. I make money to make music or whatever. See, so I don't even do. I. I had so many years where all my habits were bad for me. Yeah. So many years of. You know, mostly with the booze. And I mean, I still, as you're well aware, when I decide to go, I go yeah, all yeah, the yeah. way. And you know, AEW I, all in. Yeah, maybe. it is. <laughs> but I do try to, to narrow. I try to pull back a, a lot more than I used to. And one of the ways is that I just I have different hobbies now. And the books are nothing more than a hobby. The classic metal show is nothing more than a hobby. You know, I I don't. I don't, I've never put out one of these books. I say it with every book and I know people think I'm kidding, but I'm not. I only want to sell one of each book. It's the one that goes on my shelf. Yeah. They're personal accomplishments. The fact that other people want to read them is very flattering to me, but I'm still you or that guy over there. Yeah. That guy in that truck. You know, I'm not anybody. I'm just some dude. Yeah. And, you know, I write just for the fun of it. And that's great, too, because, like, I, you know, I mean, kind of like how I was explaining starting this podcast to some of my friends is it's like, you know, so what's your plan to blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. your business plan. And once you start making it like a business plan and how you're going to make it just takes yeah. the life out of it and the fun mm-hmm. out of it. I'm yeah. going to just I'm going to just put my love into something. Yeah. And if people receive it, great. 
you know, people get, don't. At least I know I did what I said I was going to do, sure. you know? So ne- I Neely love gets that. asked all the time, how do you make money with that thing, with the classic metal show? And he, especially from his dad, his dad doesn't <laughs> get it. Yeah, yeah. Know? And it, if we turn it into a business, I'll treat it like a business. And I don't know about you, but I don't like what I do. I don't no. like my jobs. I, you know, I don't want to build websites. I don't want to run pinball PA, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to do accounting, you know, I, I do it because it funds living the way I want to. It, yeah, exactly. It lets, it lets me sit on my couch. It makes my commute 13 steps instead of 13 miles. It, you know, when it's snowing and it's 10 below zero outside, I just look out and say, hey, I'm going to stay in bed today. Yeah. You know, I'm going to pull my laptop on the bed and work from there. When I go, when I go to the bar, I don't have to worry about the, the amount. I can't, I don't have to say, well, I better not spend more than $50 or, you know, yeah, the bar yeah. bills $300. I don't care because it just, I do what I do so that I can live how I want to live. And that's, that's where like definitely it's at, you know, people chasing the car and the house Mm -hmm. and all this other crap that don't matter, man. Are you happy? You're trying to fill, fill your Mm -hmm. soul with things and you're right. You got it. How Mm -hmm. you're living the life you want to live, man. And that's Uh, all that matters. And I, I I see my, I see my brother and my brother makes a ton of money. I mean, he makes, a lot, like, like legitimate money. Yeah, yeah. The, the kind that we all wish we could win on a ticket. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. With a lottery ticket. And I see how he works, and he has some technical knowledge more than I do, but not a ton. Yeah. But I see how he works, and I would never want to do it. Yeah. Never. What life does he have? You know, outside yeah, I mean, of he's, he's yeah. living a good life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to shit on my brother here. He's yeah, not yeah. living a good life. I'm just saying that corporate meetings and flying from business meeting to business meeting all across the country and, you know, the khakis and the and the golf shirt. And <laughs> yeah, the, oh, yeah, let's yeah. talk about let's talk about the political climate today. And, you know, <laughs> all, you know all that stuff. I like being sweatpants, long hair, yep. sitting on my couch listening to King Diamond and building websites. Wow, the WWE Network's playing in the background. Right, and exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I'll take that and make, I mean, I make a good living. I make I make a way better than a decent living. Yeah. But I do it on my own terms. Yeah, and, man, and that's the, the And that's the best part, part, man. Exactly. It's awesome. So, um, then Call Me, Call Me Chris came out, and now, I mean, we're here to, talk about your latest book yeah now and it's about your time and mostly your time in the military yeah it's time a service it's a four-year window it's from the time i joined the service to when i left arizona after my second ait i okay. had i um i um had just a crazy time in those four years crazier than anybody should be allowed to have <laughs> and Again, it's one of those things. This book is so anti everything that I've established so far that it, to me, in my own head, it feels perfect for what I'm putting out there. You know, it's it's not it really falls in the it doesn't fall in the self help category oh, no. at all. No, no, it falls in the self abuse category. <laughs> and, and and with today's PC climate and everything no. too, it's definitely probably not going to 
No, the the Me Too movement's not going to be endorsing this book anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. They're not. And but that's okay because you know what? I don't care. Yeah. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to win over anybody. Like I said before, I recruiters say, might be having this book at, you know, at their, <laughs> at their offices and stuff. Hey, you know, you really want to sign up. Right. But <laughs> it, it, it's a crazy book. You know, it's called And Other Things I Should Not Say, which, um, yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. It's the first book that there's a lot of firsts on this that are kind of almost sad in a way. But, you know, it's the first my other five books I dedicated to my grandfather and to my father who are both passed away. Yeah. This one I did not because it's, it, 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 you love neither, and respect them too much. Well, to, neither would approve, and yeah, I know that. Yeah. And it's the first one I told my mom. My mom dedicate to the general. No, I didn't dedicate it to anybody. I just <laughs> let, no dedication. I dedicated to myself, I guess. But um, but even like with my mom, you know, who's very supportive of me, I told her I said, "Look, I'll give you a copy if you want one." But I really wish you wouldn't read it. And she's like, oh, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. And I'm just like, Mom, do you really want to read about me banging hookers in hotel rooms? Okay, I guess I won't read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's oh, definitely man. dirty. It's it's a, it's a penthouse forums meets <laughs> my normal writing style. So Nice, nice. It's... It's long, as you can see. It's a big book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> debauchery and whatever that. And I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, knowing you, that there's probably still a lot that didn't make the book. There is. There's, <laughs> there's quite a few. And I know my time in the military, right. especially prior 9-11, man. Mm-hmm. It's like people are like, oh, my God, how did you survive after, you know, during wartime, blah, blah, blah. It was the non-wartime where we were putting ourselves probably a lot of. <laughs> crazier situation sometimes too well, you know when i wrote this one this is this is probably my least favorite one to write i enjoy the stories a lot but it, it it was the hardest one to write it took me four years which i never take that long oh wow but i also didn't write like i normally do i usually just sit down and rip it out yeah you know just riff it out and whatever this one is the only one I ever made an outline of stories I wanted to tell. Okay. And then I went back and filled in the blanks of the stories I wanted to tell. So I didn't write in order. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it got a little jumbly. And then midway through it, I ended up re reacquainting and then actually dating for a minute one of the characters in the book. Oh, yeah. And that when that went very south... <laughs> Then I didn't want to write. I think for I a remember while. that. Yeah. This period too. Then we I didn't want to that. write for a while. You know, I I didn't have the same steam toward finishing the book, so I stopped for a little while. And you know, it, just for a lot of reasons, this wasn't my favorite one to write. But look, it is what it is. If you listen to me on the classic metal show, or you just like dirty, wild, crazy stories, yeah. You know what you're getting into. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not trying to sell this as anything but what it is. It's definitely, if it had a rating, it would be X. <laughs> it's really graphic. It's really detailed, and it's really dirty. But it's like dark web material or something. Well, it, it's. <laughs> I mean, dude, you were in the military, so you yeah. know the stuff. You can tell stories of the military, and especially overseas military, and people look at you like you're insane. Yeah. Oh my and, god. The stuff, I mean, and what's funny, you bring that up, too, is like, 
you know, we talk about like the racial tensions and stuff that mm-hmm. gets brought, you know, that the media likes to throw uh, sure. gas on in, in this country. And, um, you know, when in the military for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, we we're all one color is the color of our yeah. uniform that we wore. And we would say, treat each other like, you know, we would say the things that mm-hmm. if you said in public, people's heads would spin oh, to yeah. each other, you Absolutely. know, and like when Chappelle show was on, I know me and a couple of the black guys in my unit would be like, you know, throwing Chappelle lines at each other that right. now today would be like, that's racist and of offensive course, yeah. and whatever and stuff well, like that. But, but man, but we, we were, we got to be real with each yeah, other and funny and it was it's like, it was a bonding thing. Yeah. I, you know? I mean, it really was a family and, and Korea I mean, I was in Korea from 87 to 89. That's the bulk of this book Yeah, is my time in Korea because that was some crazy, crazy time. A lot of historical but, stuff just but, going on with Korea. You yeah, know? Well, and but the time I was there was kind of the end of one era of Korea and the beginning of the modern Korean era because I was there for the Olympics in 88. Okay. So I was there from 87 to 89. I was there when it was definitely third world country still or close to third world country. Seoul wasn't, but everywhere else was. Yeah. And then I was there for the Olympics, and it was a totally different ball game after the Olympics hit. Yeah. So, I mean, the radical. You're just laughing at our background music. I, mean, oh, I, I don't know funny. who picked the station, but this is great. <laughs> but no, dude, it was so. The behavior there was a reflection of the culture that we were in and felt superior to and everything else and you know we ran crazy i mean i tell stories in there about knocking out cab drivers because i didn't want to pay two dollars to to get back to the base (laughs) and stuff like that and and you know and you know there's some really dirty hand jobs in the street from hookers and stuff (laughs) while negotiating money and stuff i mean you say these things to people and they're like oh that didn't happen that couldn't Uh, happen reminds me of the black angus in puerto rico well dude I mean, you've been around the world. This stuff really happens around the world. And when you're in that environment, you either hide, which many people do. They get they get to their permanent duty station and they hide somewhere. Yeah. Or they go and live it to the fullest. Yep. And I lived it to the fullest. I didn't you know, I had the it's probably unfortunate in hindsight, but it was fortunate for me. I worked for a general. I had a card in my pocket that said if I ever got arrested to pull this card out and call this phone number, they would come get me. Now, to most people. That trumps all the police officer courtesy cards. (laughs) To to most people, though, they would take that as, well, you better behave. (laughs) To 17, I was, or 18, I was 18 and two months old when I got to Korea. Yeah. I mean, I was a baby. And I was wild and I was out of control and I liked to fight. And this was your like, get out of jail free card. This was, I can do anything with no consequence card, you know? And even back then I had no fear of getting hurt. Yeah. You know, I was a fighter. I was a brawler. Okay, let's go. Yeah. This is a party now. (laughs) And I took advantage. I got arrested in Korea, I think six times, six times in two years. Get on the cover, you're getting a medal from. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's a story behind that, too, which is crazy all by itself. That was for a field exercise. And the and you remember this from the, your military days. Yeah. They don't tell you when the field exercises are coming. No. They just come in in the middle of the night and you know, yell whatever they're going to yell. For us, it was fog rain. That was the code word. And 
fog rain meant get your shit together and you know meet in the motor pool and get your vehicles whatever yeah they called a fog rain on us at 4 a.m on a sunday morning mm. i had just gotten in from partying yeah 10 minutes earlier yeah yeah laid down passed out Fog rain, fog rain. I'm putting on my uniform. I'm still trashed. Yeah. Trashed. I remember many times standing yeah. in morning muster, just reeking oh, of alcohol. Yeah. Well, I was, the as the general's driver, I was also the five-ton driver for our, for our unit. Yeah. It's the biggest truck we had. And I drove that truck. I went down to the motor pool, hammered off my ass, figured, well, I'll be in a convoy. This will be fine. Yeah. I get in the truck. We're driving. We're driving. We get to this one camp where we were coming in for the field exercise. We had to kind of go. It was like a hill that curved around. Yeah. So we're driving down. I am blasted now. You're driving? I'm driving. Oh, God. Five in the morning or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're basically still drunk. Oh, I was trashed. Not even drunk. I was .4 drunk. I mean, I was blitzed. (laughs) And next thing I know is me and this captain that we're riding. Next thing I know. Boom! I was like, oh, shit. What happened? And the whole truck jumped. Five-ton truck Duke boys, And then bounced. And then bounced again and off. And I hit the brakes. I was like, what the fuck was that? Captain jumps out. And he looks. He goes and he looks at the um, out. I had run completely over a car. No. Just with a five-ton truck. It was parked on the, on the road there. And I just was so blasted i didn't see it and i bounced over this this car nobody just, was in it nobody was in it. nobody got hurt nobody so, got killed or anything you're like bigfoot monster truck oh, yeah but it just was like oh my god well <laughs> needless to say the captain who was with me knew i was drunk and didn't want to lose rank himself for yeah. letting me drive he was like i'll take care of this i'll take care of this you don't get out of the truck I was like, all right he gets me in we park the truck. He gets me out, takes me off to a to a spot. It's away from everybody else that's digging latrines and yeah, yeah, setting yeah. up tents. Puts me off somewhere to go and sleep it off. <laughs> hides me from it. <laughs> but what ends up happening is I end up working for the general. Everybody's at this is in the middle of summer. It's a million degrees, bugs, all this other nonsense. The general worked in an air-conditioned trailer. Yeah. I ended up saying... Because he needed me, you know, throughout the day and night. Yeah. I ended up convincing him that I would sleep in the trailer so I'd be on call 24-7 to him. <laughs> and I ended up sleeping in the trailer. You worked the well, angle. So I worked the it. angle. I'm in the air-conditioned oh, trailer for a three-week exercise. I never. There's a lot of ACU2 guys from my yeah. old unit that could totally see a parallel with me sure. and, and you <laughs> right now dude. with that story. But the funny part was I did all my work. I never got turned in about the truck about the car they just wrote it off or did whatever they do i don't know what they do yeah, yeah. to make whatever person lost their car make it go away or something go away that's yeah, pretty, yeah. probably bought them a new car or something yeah. but end of the field exercise i get an army achievement medal for my <laughs> meritorious service and being on call 24 7 during this three-week exercise uh, meanwhile i was laying sleeping around sleeping in an air-conditioned sleeping yeah <laughs> just hanging out it was the best oh man yeah man i can remember working so many angles like that myself and it's funny to talk about you know military stories that you wish could get published 
I'm meeting, having a reunion tomorrow night. Right. I mean, this thing will be out after it has already happened, but with a bunch of guys, I was in this unit, Assault Craft Unit 2. Okay. We were based out of Little Creek, Virginia, but we had a Cleveland detachment. Okay. So a lot of these guys are all Cleveland guys that, you know, we just... The, the, the stories, the crazy oh, yeah. uh, exercises and the missions and the, all the stuff that you're saying in your book is totally like things that we've experienced in different parts of the country. You right. know? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, one of my buddies, Tim Daly, he's uh, he, uh, he's been saying it for a while. Man, if we could write a book, maybe just change the names or something. Yeah. This would be a story. I'm you know, like thinking you should come hang out with us and yeah. <laughs> record and ch- we should share some stories and send them to you, man. Well, dude, and it's one of those things, you know, the, even the title of the book and other things I should not say. Yeah. In theory, I shouldn't say these stories. These are the stories that most people have. Yeah. But don't talk they about They take to their grave. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They're like, they like all, most every, every grizzled vet, either wartime or not, are just like, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You exactly. Know? <laughs> Well, that's that's like I had a because you know you won't understand it. And really. I've already had one guy that emailed me and said the book's bullshit <laughs> because he his dad served in the military in Korea. Whenever, yeah, yeah, and had similar stories, and I'm like, okay, so I've never met your dad, but I somehow stole his stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's like, dude, no, we've. <laughs> This is what it's like. I'm the first one to put it into a book, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you know, it's it, these things happen. These things ha- even like the, the the story I just told about the running cars. That shit happens. Yep. You know, things happen. It, it was just always a crazy, crazy different type of a thing. You what, know? I, what I like about you putting this out, you know, and like like you said, the people that are going to get it will get it. The people that want to read it and learn mm-hmm. will, will get it. The people that want to call bullshit can call bullshit or whatever. That's fine. But, man, it's just like I, I have been like sometimes the opposite with it's affected my relationship with with civilians and stuff because it's just like we got this this mindset, this dark humor and stuff. And sometimes I'm like, man, I really don't want to freak these people out. So I don't say nothing at all. And I clam <laughs> up and I hate that because that's totally like not who I, I right. am and want to be. You know, that's probably another reason why I drank so much, just right, so I could sure. be boisterous and feel more, you know, get mm-hmm. over that fear or whatever. But it's like, yeah, these are stories that the average Joe citizen will not get. They won't believe. They'll be like, no. are you kidding me? Or they'll look at us like we're freaking, well, you know, Satan. Dude, I always go back to something everybody knows, and I look at the response, and I always laughed at the response. And I'll, I'll be curious what you think. Yeah. I looked at the, the pictures and the videos that came out of Guantanamo with them stacking up oh, the POWs yeah, 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 yeah. and chasing them with the dogs and whatever. Yeah. Abby I Robbie laughed. Or whatever. Yeah. I laughed. I looked, <laughs> I looked at that stuff. I didn't see anything to be outraged about. I was like, that's much nicer. Yeah. Than, than how I would like to be treated. Than I would like to be. I'd, I'd like to be sculling them with, with bats for yeah. trying to kill us or actually killing somebody that I knew or yeah. blowing up IEDs or whatever. They had to stack yeah, themselves so the up naked fr- in a pyramid. Cheerleader, cheerleader pyramid high yeah. school photos. Yeah. Or, you okay. Know, wow. Whatever. That's embarrassing. So what? It's war, you dummies. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's <laughs> like it's like when you're in the military, and this is what's hard to explain to people that have never served 
they don't understand what war is. But they all have an opinion. They all have an opinion. You know, that drives but, me nuts. But their hardest battle has ever been, you know, who's next on the copy machine at the, at work. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or who has to make the coffee because they drank the last bit of it. They don't know day to day. They don't know bullets bouncing, up, bouncing off an APC when you're rolling into a into a battle zone. They don't know. Yeah, sleeping through mortar rounds because it's just constant, yeah. you know. When you've had actual bullets being flung at you, and you know this, yeah. when you've had actual real-world stuff, this myth that you're going to have compassion for the people that were doing it is nonsense. Can't hug our way out of this, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's that's the... That's the equivalent of saying that someone raped your mom and you're going to go up to them and say, well, you know, let's talk it out. Yeah, yeah. What, Baloney. How was your childhood and what caused yeah. you to? What made you rape my mom? Please explain that to me. It's it's like. <laughs> and then behead her afterwards, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know. Well, I forgive you for that, you know. She was a little up there in years, so it's all good now. Yeah, It's like, yeah. dude, you're going to have some hate. That's what war is. War is hate. Yep. And, you know, it. It it cracks me up when I hear people that have no military experience. Now, I didn't have a lot of, you know, I was in during Gulf War One, So yeah. not exactly, I'm not exactly grizzled war veteran. You, yeah, on yeah. the other hand. No, nah, I, I wouldn't say I am either. You have more I mean, than me. Yeah, well. You know, and but I, I don't think it matters. I mean, these kids that are out there today, I hate it for these kids that are out there today because they're putting their lives on the line and they're really getting subjected to almost a Vietnam like backlash. Yep. You know, this PC culture here. How could you be such a killer of poor, innocent mother? Shut up. Yeah. Just shut up. They're doing a job. Period. Yeah. And then, you know, (laughs) I always liked like the movies like Death Wish or stuff like that with Charles Bronson, how, you know, I mean. He was such a liberal pacifist kind mm-hmm. of guy. And then when yeah. the shit happens to your family and yeah. you're raped and brutally murdered and stuff like exactly. that, the thing clicks, reality comes in mm-hmm. and you're like, I cannot, you know, we, th- there's no better way to handle this because the system no. sucks. You know, look, there's a reason that through the history of, of written history has always come with brutalization of the weaker. Yeah. There's a reason that that always happens because that is the one method that always works in the end. If you're a, if and that's in the animal kingdom, that's in the written human kingdom. Yeah. The baddest of the badasses always survives. The the one that is weaker always gets demolished. Always. And you know, it's like like we were talking about with our 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 healing and our recovery from the stuff that we mm-hmm. it, It's about finding that balance. You know, like you were that angry, kept everything in, and then mm. finally it all exploded and came out. Yeah. But then you were also like, you know, wounded by the divorce and sure everything you went through there. So it's like it went from one extreme to the other. But we, it's when we find that balance where we can be the, the almost like the peaceful warrior. Mm-hmm. When it's time to go, we know what needs to be right, done and we're ready to go. Mm-hmm. But we can be. You know, compassionate and loving to our family sure. and our the people that matter to us. It's not right. that that's what I'm still trying to learn because sometimes I'm always in go time and want to challenge and fight all these idiots that don't get it. And I'm trying to learn to show a little bit of love and compassion to the ones that matter to me. Right. The other ones, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, whatever. I think I've just somewhere along the way decided that this is who I am. Yeah. Like me or hate me, 
I don't really care. And I really don't. I mean, I mean, forget the books, just doing the CMS. And I say some radical things on the CMS. And, you know, I get I get my share of blowback every week. Every week there's somebody that's like, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Your politics suck. You're this sucks, whatever. And you don't care. I don't care. And that's that's so freeing, too, because sometimes it's like, you know, that could uh, almost be like handcuffs to mm-hmm. somebody that lets it get to them. And that was yeah. one of the things that I struggle with so much. I wanted people to like me so much that if I got blowback, I would cave. And now it's just like, no, this is how I am. This is what I believe. And this, you and, know. And the, the unique thing that you learn. This is my it, life experience. Right. You can't well, take away my life experience. No, but the know? one thing that you learn with time is that the people you actually do want around you and maybe it's not the people you think you want but it's the people that in reality you do really want around you will accept you for whatever your real thoughts are yeah you know the people that can't accept your thought process they don't really want to be around you anyway they want to be around themselves yeah and you know selfish yeah so why why tolerate it yeah don't chase after that yeah you know it's Mm -hmm. like you know we talk about with relationships earlier too i think you know maybe when, when you first got married, and I know, you know, when I was with the mother of my children, it was like I was conforming to the mold that she wanted mm-hmm. for me. And it wasn't who I am. Man. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, so I would still be like this other person outside and then come home and try and be the person that she wanted me to be. And it's like just finding that balance. Finally, right. You no. know, I always equated. I really am. I always equated my married life to Aerosmith. Yeah. And I always said when I was at home. I was the guy that wanted to passionately sing Dream On. You know, I yeah. was that guy. I was the guy to put my heart and soul into playing that piano and singing Dream On. But the minute I would get out of that house, I never wanted to hear that song again. <laughs> you know, like like Aerosmith is. I, I'm quite sure Steven Tyler hates that song at this point. Yeah, yeah. But when he gets on stage and he's got... 10,000, 15,000 people in front of him. You know, you got to fit it in the set list somewhere. He's flying in with the piano. He's singing his heart out. And you know, in his head, he's like, oh, and I hate this song. Yeah. You know, but it is what it is. You you end up trying to be something that you're just not. You know, I'll bet you if Steven Tyler was able to play a set where he didn't play Dream On, he would come off that stage and be like, that was the best set we've ever played. Yeah. And it'll never happen because he, he doesn't do that. But, you know, it's crazy. So the book and other things I should not say. Yeah. Um, like you said, Kindle will be out on Black Friday. Amazon released it already. Yep. So people are able to get it. Um, Amazon. Where's other places that uh, think they could? Uh... Um, well, they could definitely go to my website, which is chrisakenbooks.com. Okay. And go there and get it. And there's still a few. Look through your whole library of books. Yeah, all of those are there. Have any bundle packages you know, uh, you know what? for holiday season coming I, up? I, I haven't yet. I've thought about it. And I don't know. I just, it's like such a hassle. <laughs> but but um, you can get them there. And there's still a few copies left that can be autographed. If you want them signed. Okay. And then if you don't want them signed or once I run out of the autograph copies, you know, that's it. I'm not going to buy another box and keep signing books. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um, you can get them at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere that sells books really. Now, how do you think like the veteran community will, (laughs) would, would attract to this book? (laughs) I think they'll get a good laugh. Yeah. I think. Bring back some memories of their own. Maybe. 
I, I mean, I have, I have some of my old buddies from both Korea and Arizona, which are the two main places I wrote about in the book. And, um, I've shared some chapters with some of them and they're just like, Oh man, you know, this is crazy. And, and, and take my name out of there. I'm married. I've had that. I definitely had that because at first it was going to be there. It was going to be all real names. Yeah. And then I couldn't get a hold of some people. Yeah, like you know, that would, and like, they would oh, be pissed. I, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's or not family fair. or whatever. It's not yeah, fair. yeah. They don't have a say so in yeah, it. Yeah, it's not fair yeah. that, you know, I'm writing about, because I'm writing about some dark stuff with some people. And yeah. I'm quite sure that while I might be wide open and honest about everything, not I'm everybody sure, else is. Pretty sure there's some guys that have wives that have no idea what they were doing in Korea. Yeah. That just think that they were. Wearing their uniform and pulling guard duty in Korea for a year. Oh, honey, it was horrible. Oh, it was terrible. The <laughs> amount of work. I never was off work. You know, I'm sure that there's that those guys exist. And, you know, and like one of one of my main guys, one of, one of my very core nine best friend guys is a, guy, is a guy in the book. He's now a minister. Oh, and yeah, so he definitely <laughs> had to change his name. <laughs> well, you know, and I mean, he was my main running buddy in arizona oh, a lot boy. of fights and cheating on his wife and everything else so it's like you know <laughs> i can't exactly leave his name no, no. alone you know because he's he's built a whole new life yeah yeah you know outside of it and, and obviously the girl i was dating i got a feeling she doesn't want me mentioning her real name yeah yeah and you know i didn't take any of her stories out of the book either you know it was very me and it her is had what a, it was yeah, yeah, yeah it was what it was and you know, and so I did change everybody's name in the book just to be respectful of people. So people want a taste of, uh, you know, Chris Aiken's writing style or just the way Chris Aiken's mind works. Uh, they can tune in weekly to the Classic Metal Show, yeah, and 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 hear get an idea, you know, listen oh, to you an on idea. There. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I definitely say some raw stuff, and I. You know, it's definitely shock jock radio. It's basically out of the Howard Stern, Opie and Anthony yeah, yeah. style of the past. But it's it's uncensored. It's six hours. Uh, theclassicmetalshow.com to tune in. Okay. And um, Or you can go to, for now anyway, YouTube until they cancel my channel. And <laughs> yeah. There's always bit shoot. And, um, yeah, yeah. You've been getting me hip to some of these, yeah. you know, more free speech friendly. Well, well, and, and YouTube, YouTube will be canceling our channel at some point. They already, they already demonetized us in the last two weeks for our quote unquote hate speech. Oh so God, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The next Alex Jones. Yeah, out, yeah. Out. so we'll be yeah. we'll be canceled soon. But we always have BitChute as a backup, and we have um, we have our own little TV network, CMS TV, which is over on Vimeo. Yeah. So there's plenty of ways to find us. Our, our podcast is on every podcast provider. So nice. Nice. It's all, it's all there. So I want to ask you some of the questions that okay. I normally ask my guests on okay. here. Um, what's a, a, uh, I mean, man, you being such a music guy and I, especially when I ask musicians, these are always like tough ones, but what, right. who would you say your top three artists are? Um, of all styles. Yeah. Wow. Pantera's one. Um, Metallica's two. Um, I would say right now Kid Rock is three. I listen yeah. to Kid Rock constantly, you know. But I love everything. I love the 
Eagles, Madonna and Prince and yeah, you know, yeah. and NWA and Tupac. And- if it's something you and this kind of goes to the next question. Sure. But, uh, you know, a song that had, you know, song or songs that have inspired you like the most in life that you felt in your bones that have moved you. Oh, or whatever. Well, I mean, that goes with any of the styles sure. you just mentioned. You know? well, the number one one is a song called Little Victories. Yeah. by a band called the Blue Sky Riders. Okay, it's, and that was where the title Yeah, and that's where it inspired. came from. Right. And it was, um, Blue Sky Riders is um, Kenny Loggins, a girl named Georgia Middleman, who's become a friend of mine because of the book. Oh, nice. And Gary Burr, who's her husband. And Gary and Georgia have written number one hits for country people. And obviously, Kenny Loggins is Kenny Loggins. Yeah. And the quick story behind that is... My buddy, Matt Wardlaw, when I was going through the divorce, he knew that I was drowning myself in booze and he decided to come over and drag me out of the house. Okay. So he grabbed me, dragged me out of the house (laughs) and white knuckled listening to me bitch about my ex-wife all the way to Kent to go see this Blue Sky Riders because he and I are both Kenny Loggins fans. Yeah. And I went to the show. I didn't I'd never heard a note of their music. Didn't know what I was walking into. Well, they broke down this song called Little Victories. And the, the basis of the song Little Victories is um, it's about the emotional pain of a breakup or uh, somebody dying on you. Oh, it's either wow. or. And I mean, the, so you the, crying the, on the warlock shoulder. <laughs> I, I was I was almost ready. I wrote it in Little Victories. I was ready to scream when Georgia Middleman was singing the lyrics. You know, the, the lyrics are so painful and so exactly where i was at the Mm. moment it was you know you know it it talks about just that absolute ripping feeling in your stomach where the emotion is so real that it makes you physically sick yeah and how you know and then the end of the song talks about you know what you're gonna wake up tomorrow you're gonna burn your hand on the coffee pot you're gonna wake up you're gonna move on It'll be a little tiny bit better tomorrow than yeah. the next day. It'll be a little tiny bit better the next day. Victories. You know, little victories. Yeah. And, and that song moved me so much. I played it every single day. I still have played it every single day now for seven years. Nice. I listen to it every single day. And it, it's my most inspiring song. It, it definitely awesome. drags me through. And then the other I, one. I think I know which song we'll have to pick to use at the end of the interview here it's mellow though i will say it's not that's fine it's it's very mellow but that's fine but and then the other song that that i listen to quite a bit and i know you've probably never heard it most people haven't it's a song by a band called love hate jizzy pearl who was also in la guns and rat and whatever no quite right too now right yeah yeah yeah, and quite right now yeah he he did a song on on an album that even he hates called living off layla and the song is called wish i had more time and it's a little ballad it's two and a half minutes long and it talks about it's a song that the bass player wrote to his dad on his deathbed Mm. and it talks about i wish i had more time to show you how much i care and to show you that i loved you and whatever and it is such a lyrically moving song for me Mm. because it keeps me focused on what's important. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I do a lot of things as we've talked about. Yeah. Here. And even though I do a lot of things, <laughs> I have to 
it's it's way too easy to get sucked into believe in my own hype and believe in my own bullshit. And, yeah. you know, look at me, I've written six books and I have two businesses and I'm so great or blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's always good for me to hear something that really puts me back into, into a place of, um, absolute remembering what's important. So that's my other one. Wish I had more time, but love hate. Awesome. So, um, you just reminded me too, and I, I knew yeah. we talked about it before at the beginning that I was going to bring it up, and I didn't. Um, your uh, PA pinball business, pinball PA, yeah, P- pinball PA business. How yeah. you know? Just to go back a little bit, what, that's okay. You know, how, when did that get started, and what inspired you to to All get right. into that? As I was going through my divorce, my friend Ed, everybody, all my all my closest people had made decisions. They saw that I was absolutely eroding away. Um, they all tried to get me out of my house because yeah. I was just staying home drinking nonstop. Constantly. 6 a.m. I'm making screwdrivers and getting blasted by noon. Mm. Sleeping two hours, getting up, getting blasted again. You know, I mean, I was just a mess. A mess. So my friend Ed, we broke me and my ex broke up the end of June in late July, he's like, he's like, I'm going to take you to Atlantic city just to get out of here. And I was like, okay, cool. So they serve alcohol. Yeah. I was like, fine, you know, whatever. So he, he made this plan. We went up, um, and it was all first class. Um, he, he lives in Pittsburgh. So I drove to Pittsburgh and, um, we, he, I mean, first class private plane, Wow. Waiter, waiter that brought us the, a bottle of booze on the plane and we're getting hammered on the plane. Nice. Penthouse suites at the, at the, um, Bellagio, you know, it it, it was nice. I mean, first class all the way black cards so we could play whatever we wanted. You know, it was just this great thing. We had cheap trick tickets. I have pictures of me sitting next to Larry David, you know, (laughs) nice at at cheap trick. It, It was just this crazy whirlwind what you needed party it really was it got me out of a rut a little bit well we got back to his place and had money sounds like it (laughs) and we get back to his place and in his backyard he had this big warehouse built with nothing but pinball machines and video games in it yeah like what are these doing just sitting he he just he he kept it for his own amusement yeah and whenever he would party he'd invite his friends over and they'd play pinball and and I mean, I'm, when I say it was a warehouse, it really is a warehouse, like yeah. three, four hundred machines. Wow. And so we um, we're, we're partying, we're drinking, whatever. At three o'clock in the morning or whatever, we ended up sitting on a couch while some other people were still playing or whatever. And Ed looked at me and he had sold his other businesses. And he was like, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I looked around. And I was like, dude. This and. He was like, you think? And I was like, yeah, dude. People would definitely love to play all these games. they pay to do it. Yeah. And we just kind of ran with the idea. We, we did a Kickstarter campaign, and we raised startup capital. And, you know, and we started it up. We rented a building, moved all the machines in. I built a business plan, and onward we went. Now we're... Now here it is today. Yeah, I mean that was in fourteen. We opened May of fourteen, and we're still doing great. And we're the fifth largest pinball arcade in the country. Wow! You know it's it's and 
by far the biggest the biggest anywhere in this area yeah you know it's 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 massive it's it really even now i don't go there as much as i used to but when i walk in the door still i kind of look around i'm like wow this is mine yeah you know it's like look at this because it's it's a kmart it's the size of a kmart wow with nothing but arcade games and pinball machines nice it's insane man that's awesome now um the other thing I wanted to touch on, because it's yeah. one of my favorite Netflix shows, is uh, the show Mindhunter. Now, yeah. Season two, they actually utilized your they did. pinball they, machine. They or... reached out to us. Uh, they shoot that show in Pittsburgh. Okay. Or in, actually, most of it is in a town called Ambridge, which is right next to, my my, my pinball place is in a town called Aliquippa, and Ambridge is like one town over. Okay. And they they reached out to us. And um, they were looking for specific time games, timed games from yeah. from specific 1980 and 81. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we have plenty of these. So they sent out their their guy and I met with their guy and he came out and he picked through what he wanted and they rented our games for a month. And then there's a scene in I think it's episode eight yeah. where they go into an arcade and all those games are mine, nice. know, which was just like the coolest for me. That was like the yeah, coolest yeah. thing in the world is that <laughs> is that um, that happened. And and out of that now, now we're 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 not guaranteed of it yet by any means. But we've um, we've met twice with the American Pickers. OK. And the American Pickers might be coming out to do a show. Well, because we have a warehouse in addition to. The, the the arcade itself where we have another 800 machines that we use for parts and for wow. swap-ins and whatever yeah. so they're they're talking about coming out and doing an american pickers from our from our That's warehouse so now, did you get to meet any of the uh actors from mindhunter when you- i did not ed no. did ed, yeah because they hired they hired ed to be like an on-site maintenance guy. Okay. I mean, I guess I could have gone out there. Yeah, yeah. That would require going to Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's yeah. Not me. <laughs> I, dude, Especially I, again, wearing your Browns coat right now. Well, and, and, and like I said before, I'm not starstruck guy. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't get anything from meeting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I got? I'm I got one. a nice fat check, and that was really nice. And <laughs> made Mindhunter my favorite show of all time. And, and, yeah, <laughs> and it, I mean, it helped get... I'm sure anybody that looks it up, like, oh, where was this filmed? Okay, yeah, and now, exactly. it, you know, gets more free advertising. Exactly, for you guys. that's exactly that's it. Great. All right, we'll get back to a couple of these. Uh, okay. Regular questions I ask. Um, three people who've inspired you, or you can credit for making you the person you are today. Simple. My dad, my grandfather, and Lemmy. Lemmy. Yep. And. My dad, obvious, you know, yeah. I learned most of my lessons, especially my work ethic from my dad. Yeah. My dad taught me from when I was a little kid to, I can remember he was a truck driver yeah. and he used to forge his log books in order to get more driving in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was always like, dad, why are you doing that? And he's like, because if you let somebody get ahead of you, then they'll take it from you. Ooh. Then you don't have it anymore. And I've always lived by that method. I've you always- ain't first or last, right? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you ain't first or last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was that was I learned that work ethic from him. Yeah. Uh my grandfather was a huge inspiration to me. Um I was a all state, all city baseball player here in Streetsboro. Mm. And I learned it from my grandfather that was an all world baseball player 
you know, played with played in the in the army. Yeah. Another, another inspiration. He was in the army. Yeah. But he played on the all army baseball team with I have pictures of him with like Mel Ott and Babe Ruth and brilliant. Yeah. You know, wow, um, man. And, and, you know, and I wanted to be that good. Yeah. So and he always, you know, he's 60 years old and coming out to my games and working with me on hitting and stuff when yeah, he was yeah. you know, late in his life. You That's know, awesome. So he was a big influence on me. And Lemmy, I'm not the, it's weird because I like Motorhead. I don't love Motorhead. If you had me name my top 50 bands, Motorhead might be at the tail end of it. Yeah. But the way Lemmy lived is the way I live. You know, don't care. Don't care what people think. Don't care what people say. Do it your way. You know, everything that I do doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I'm a business owner with hair four feet long and. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah you know, that wears sweats to business meetings because I, you know, I'm almost eccentric like that, you know, and I swear all the time. I don't play corporate, whatever. I don't even own a suit. You know, I, I mean, I, I just don't play by normal people's rules. I play by my rules and I'm like, you know, take it or don't, I don't care. This is how I live. And that's how Lemmy lived. And it was very much inspiration for me watching him even to his dying day. I mean, he's still playing gigs right up till he died. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I want to be found with my head collapsed on my laptop. I want to stroke out in the middle of a classic metal show. That would be great. Are you kidding me? That would, that would help the show grow. At least that last episode. Yeah. Well, a lot more downloads. I'd be fine with that. (laughs) Oh man. It's cool. So what would you want, you know, Speaking of, you know, yeah. stroking out on the metal show, what would you want your legacy to be? You know, what would you want? Well, how would you um, like to be remembered? Hardworking. Yeah. You know, that's about it, really. I mean, my legacy's out there. Yeah. My, you know, yeah. there's 10,000 hours of me on the on the Internet. There's six books with damn near everything of my life is out there in books. You know, I've put my legacy out there. People are going to judge me on however they judge me. Yeah. And, and that's on them. You know? Yeah, that's on them. I can't yeah. I can't control that, and I don't try to control that. I just, I'm happy to know that I've entertained people, and people, you know, for better or for worse, have listened to what I had to say. <laughs> and I know my closest friends consider me their closest friend. And, you know, that's all the more you can do. I know my kids love me. I know my mom loves me. I know my brother does. Yeah. I know my friends do. I don't need anything else. I don't need, I don't need the legend of Chris Aiken to be a star on some road somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all out there. People like me. They like me. If they don't, they don't. Awesome. So, uh, favorite toy as a child and why? Oh, my God. Favorite toy as a child. Um, yeah, do you remember the bit. old big track? It was uh, it was like a dump truck, but it had a... Uh, like the tank tread tracks or uh, something? No, no. I, I don't remember if it had a track or just wheels, huh. but it had a, a keypad on it. And you could program it to drive around your house. Like you could and then dump at certain areas yeah. and whatever. Yeah, I think I remember the big that. Big track. Okay, yeah. And I used to have one of those, and I played. Bring you the, beer and everything. Uh, well, not then. I was like <laughs> six or whatever. But, but but I would send it. Like my dad, my we had a chaise lounge in the in the living room, 
and my dad would yell in if I hear, he heard me doing my homework or whatever in the kitchen. He'd be like, bring me an apple. And I would take my big track and I would program it in <laughs> to take the apple to my dad's That's chaise awesome. lounge. <laughs> but yeah, Work smarter, to, not harder. Right? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I, I would say the big track was probably my favorite oh, toy. Cool, man. And then I know we, we talk a lot uh, about uh, one of our other favorite pastimes, professional wrestling. Yeah. Who would you say is your favorite wrestler? My favorite ever? Yeah. If I say Iron Mike Sharp, no. <laughs> um, ah, wow. So many good ones. Um, shoot, ever. I don't know. Um, uh, maybe like Paul Orndorff or somebody like that. Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. Never, I, I never was a big fan of the big names. I never was a huge fan of yeah. Hulk or Warrior or... I did like The Undertaker at first, yeah. but I found him to, that he got stupid when he became the American badass, you know, <laughs> went from dead guy to quite living, yeah. you know. But playing Kid Rock, though. Yeah. You know? And then the cult leader Undertaker was kind of dumb, too. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I I always liked Paul Orndorff, and I'll be honest, he's back now. I really was a big fan of Tully Blanchard. Oh, yeah. Back yeah. in the NWA days. That move, and I know he's making Sean Spears do it now, too, which I love. The thing where the he slingshot picks up suplex. slingshot suplex. Oh, yeah, it was I, awesome. I One was of my so favorites. happy to see that in the in the pay-per-view, the AEW pay-per-view, that, that he took a Tully move. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, what you a have to, almost, because that was like his signature thing. And then if you're going to pass on to a new guy to keep it alive. And what's funny is great. if you look at either of those two that I mentioned, Mr. Wonderful or Tully now, yeah. You'd never recognize them from the day. Yeah. Tully, or um, Mr. Wonderful, with that big 1840s mustache, looks like he works at a saloon instead of, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, instead of the WWE. Yeah. You know, it's fantastic. But, yeah, those are probably my two. Okay, cool. And then uh, any, you know, any messages that you want to send to our, our brothers and sisters that are currently serving overseas? Simple message, man. Head down. Head, Head down. down. Come home safe. That's all. Awesome. You know, I, I don't need to tell them how to live. They certainly know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the only message we can ever give them is, you know what, some of us care and keep your head down and come home. You know, simple as that. We'll see you at a VFW hall or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, a book signing for yeah. uh, and other things I should not say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right, man. Okay. Well, you know, I... I Thank you, Chris, for sure, this man. time and getting together with me and doing this. You know, I'm definitely grateful for oh, our no problem, friendship dude. and how it's grown over the years that I was going through my stuff. You were going yeah. through yours. And, um, you know, I'm just it, your your story has definitely been inspirational uh, <laughs> following you along with I mean, and hearing more about the before I knew you. Right. Stuff sure. that you've overcome. Mm -hmm. It's just a definitely, definitely uh, inspirational story, man. Well, thanks. And, uh, I'm proud to call you a friend of mine. Hell so yeah, one dude. last favor. If I yeah, can ask from you. absolutely. We make it easy for you. If you right. could do a promo ID for the I radio can. show for us. I can. Let me see. There you go. All right. There you go. What is up, everybody? It is Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show and every book you've ever read and every business you've ever entered. And you are listening to today's boondoggle on Domain Cleveland Radio. Now turn it up, you fucks. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you for the time. And uh, man, you know, 
uh, look forward to getting this out there for everybody before awesome, awesome. Uh, Black Friday. All right. Cool. Cigarettes you gave up long ago You wanna go get drunk somewhere Turn it off and just not care for a little while You're running over what went wrong For the hundredth time today You wonder if another thought Will ever take its place You're feeling like you're trapped inside your own bad dream One that's never gonna end But here's the funny thing My friend You feel like you're gonna die But you don't You think that world will stop, but it won't, and it's the darkest thing I know, the sun comes up, it's another day, and your heart still beats, and you say, hey, I'm still breathing, take it from me. You tore in half and scattered on the floor Letters where he swore his love mean nothing anymore You can't imagine how to get from here to there But one day you'll know where to start That's the power You think that the world will stop, but it won't. And it's the darkest thing I know. The sun comes up, it's another day, and your heart still beats, and you say, hey, I'm still breathing. Take it from me. Little victories are all a heart needs. The dog still barks and your shower's hot and you burn your hand on the coffee pot. So like it or not, gotta say, hey, I'm still breathing. Take it from me.
Thank you for tuning into this week's edition of today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated entertainment cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news, entertainment information and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for tuning into the show here at Domain Cleveland.